you, you get this particularly at youth events where the expectation is the more you build a song, the more you're going to feel Jesus. Hello and welcome to Deconstructing Worship, a series of positive and constructive conversations about the current culture of modern worship. We are your hosts, Steve Quantic and Kyle Treble. And hello, welcome. It's very, very exciting to be here for episode three. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. How you doing, Abby? Good, thank you. Good, yeah. Good, good, good. It's good to have you on. And it's, it's nice. I am the stranger to you. Kind of yeah, like the yeah. last episode as well. Um, so it's going to be really cool. It's like a really cool uh, conversation with someone who I have no idea about them. So it's going to be really fun. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. Yeah, so um, just to introduce Abby from my point of view, um, I first met Abby, um, well, probably at my first ever session worship gig, right? Because Tim, like, yeah, Tim Williams, uh, who at the time was the um, um, kind of worship uh, pastor at Southfield Church in Yeovil, um, asked me to basically, I essentially ended up spending the whole summer playing with him. We played at a youth weekend down south, didn't we? Um, and then and then ended up spending like the majority of 2018 uh, on tour with Southfield Music, which is really really fun. Really, really cool. How how often how often were you doing? Um, I was going to say gigs. We'll just go with gig. I know that word's stigmatised in the church as well, isn't it? You can't say that one. Um, <laughs> when the how often were you doing worship conferences? Um, well, some months we did it every week and some months we only did it once a month. So it wasn't hugely consistent, but, um, there was one period of time where we actually went to Northern Ireland and we did four days in a row. That's cool. I'd I'd love to go to Ireland. Excuse my, uh, my ignorance. Where is Southville? So Southville, um, it's actually the name of our local church in Yeovil. So, um, we... Like the band ended up getting named after the road that the church is on, and then the church also ended up getting up because we thought South. Well, I think it was my okay. own, my boss Tim at the time came up with the idea, but he thought it was a cool name. So yeah, I like it. I like it. I was kind of like, is this got? Is it got like a meaning, or is it literally just a place called Southville? It's just a place called Southville. We quite often get mistaken for Smallville, which is quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so T- Tim Williams, who was the worship pastor when you came in, he had quite an interesting kind of experience when he first came into Southfield, right? Because uh, he joined the church and then a lot of kind of long serving members of the worship team were like, oh my goodness, thank thank goodness somebody's here to lead worship and then left, right? They left the worship. Yeah, it was actually, I mean, like, it's a sad, but also quite funny story. Sorry, Tim, it's quite funny. But um, Tim was probably only a little bit older than me when he first came to Southfield. I think he was like 21, 22. And um, he was like, He'd done some really cool experiences. I think he'd done Holy Trinity Brompton, which is a big church. He'd done a lot with Elam Sound and stuff. So he knew what he was doing. And basically, he came to Southville of a worship team of people who hadn't really got a clue what we were doing, including myself. Like, I was maybe, like, 13 or 14 at the time, so I was very new. Didn't really know what I was doing. The worship team was mainly, like, older people. No offence to older people, obviously. (laughs) But, yeah, we were quite, like, quite dated, (laughs) I guess. Like... The piano was actually like, it was one of those kind of electric big pianos. It was not a nice sounding synthy keyboard. Like, yeah, there was a lot of room for improvement. But obviously, because we were so set in our ways, 
having this new kind of younger, cooler person come in, a lot of people kind of thought, I'm not good enough, I'm not cool enough for this, and they just left. So it kind of left the team. It was basically just him, and it was me, like a 13-year-old child, Karen, my friend, who was also like 12, and that was like the entire team. <laughs> well, you, you, see, you see that happen a lot, don't you, when kind of like leadership changes, like a massive part of team or congregation tend to leave as well. It's very, It's a very odd phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, yeah, at the time it was quite shocking because I think, like, I think to be honest, the people that left were getting close towards leaving. And I think when they saw Tim come, they thought it was a bit of a relief that somebody was there to take over. So it was like a combination okay. of lots of different things. But yeah, everyone just left at the same time and left us with about three of us to run the services. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's good. You can build up from the, from the roots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is exactly what happened. So was that a good, was was that kind of a positive experience for you? Or did you just kind of feel like, oh my gosh, well, I guess I have to step up then? Well, uh, it was a bit both, to be fair. So to begin with, it was very much, ah, because <laughs> obviously 13-year-old me with very little experience was like, oh man, like this is, this is not going to go well. I don't know what I'm doing. This is too much for me. Like uh, we have quite a small church. It's about 100, 150 people. So it wasn't like too daunting, but um, it was definitely a lot of responsibility. Um, at the time... I hadn't had a huge amount of experience properly worshipping and properly connecting with God, probably just because of my age. So for me at the time, I very much thought it was kind of, this is quite performancey. People are going to be judging how good I am at playing. So yeah, and it was also the same for obviously my friend Karen. She'd only just stepped up to worship leading. We'd basically gone from me and her used to lead worship for the children, um, like the four or five-year-old kids who haven't really got a clue about what it sounds like. So stepping up from doing that to doing full-on adults who are, fully paying attention to what we're doing was definitely very daunting. Yeah, you know, everyone is now watching me fully. Exactly, yeah, fully, fully judging. Um, one of the worst things that happened very early on is that um, at the end of communion, I'd left the synth pad on and it was beautiful, like everyone was calm, it was such a lovely atmosphere and I hit the beatbox button. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> See, they, those are the moments they are, they are the great moments. So, so would you say that you're kind of, um, that, that this kind of being thrown in the deep end in terms of leading worship how did that kind of work for you in terms of connecting with God and how that developed yeah it genuinely brought it to a whole new level um I think because for me the style of music changed very much at the same time as Tim came in so we were picking out newer songs not necessarily like brand new but ones where the lyrics resounded a lot more with me and at that point I started going oh actually like these words mean something to me like I'm feeling something inside of me that's actually I'm resounding like resonating with and it's it's kind of I'm feeling a connection with God because of that because as much as I love some of the older songs I just didn't understand some of the words and they, like, I was just singing them but not meaning them so that was like a kind of a big deal for me no that's great I, I understand that because I came to I came to kind of be a follower of Jesus when like kind of later on in life at 18 um so some of like when I came to church and they would do like the older ones and this isn't to take a shot at these ones because they're like now I understand them and they're beautiful amazing songs but at the time, as a new Christian, I was like, I really have no idea what you're saying. So, yeah, exactly, I, I yeah. get Sometimes you Sometimes you just need it simplified, don't you? Because um, don't get me wrong, now that I've grown in my faith and I understand the Bible more, listening back to hymns, I just think, wow, like those words are amazing. Like, yeah. they're so biblical, so true. But at the time, I just kind of thought, well, this is a load of rubbish. Like, what, it's like, this what are you saying? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, like, it's like when you're at secondary school and you're studying and, you have to, and you're forced to study Shakespeare. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and you feel like you're being forced to study Shakespeare. Yeah. And then, you know, like a few years later, you're like, oh my gosh, he's legitimately one of the greatest playwrights who ever lived. 
100%. Yeah. But at the time, you're like, this guy kind of sucks. <laughs> and, you, yeah. and you look back and you go, wow, I said Shakespeare sucks. Wow. <laughs> exactly. So then later on, there was the South Film Music Project. So, yeah. um, so the church kind of set out, just to fill you in, Carl, they set out to try and write 100 songs in a year. Okay. And then try to pick the best of those songs. We'll probably talk to Tim. We're having Tim on the podcast. I don't know if it's later this series or next series. I guess we will talk to him a bit more, in a bit more detail about that. But in terms of like songwriting, were you involved in that much? I did, yeah, I did have some involvement. This was something that was so brand new to me. I'd never done it before in my life. So it was kind of, I mean, I did like a GCSE music, but that was pretty much it as far as my musical ability went. So I kind of thought, mm, yeah, this isn't for me. But um, it was actually beautiful what they did. They basically, Howard and Tim got together and they just said, anyone in the church, you can write any lyrics, send them in to us, we'll do something with them. And we actually had like, I think she was like a 98 year old woman and she was housebound and she would literally sit at home and write lyrics and send them in. It was absolutely useful wow um, yeah in terms of my involvement it was kind of what I felt I could do better was listen to something that they'd given me and then say what my opinion of it was and give like feedback rather than actually writing them myself that's what I felt that I was better at. and also the other thing that I thought I could do all right was um change certain words so like it's kind of like finding synonyms I guess so just words that I thought sounded slightly better than the ones that they'd used yeah but that's a great start but yeah, in terms of the actual songwriting, I didn't I didn't do a huge amount, but it was it was great to just be a part of and just watch happen. It was amazing. I think people massively underestimate like the importance of like somebody being there from an editorial point of view, right? Because like it's oh, yeah, so 100%. like it's so easy to kind of write something, work on it really hard, and think that's like sacred and can never be changed. And then somebody like you can come in and go like, oh, what if you change this word? And like, you know, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? thinking of the church itself as a community but like songwriting and art in itself kind of it can be very solo um but it's when you open it up to more of a communal aspect of writings when you kind of get things that are really unexpected and you kind of create stuff that's like whoa yeah totally just to kind of bring us into um to kind of the whole like idea of unpicking some things about uh congregational worship uh, obviously, for the majority of churches, um, it's not their experience that they're singing homegrown music. Um, they're not singing music that springs from within the church. Um, it's often, you know, music from America or Australia or churches like, you know, like at the time when I was growing up, it was like Soul Survivor and things like that. Um, so two questions, right? So first question is, like, what would you kind of say to kind of encourage people um who you know encourage songwriters within local congregations and how did that benefit Southfield as a church I think my biggest piece of advice would be you were always important enough like like we just discussed with this slightest little change makes such a big difference and for me at the time um as an intern I was super unconfident with everything that I did I had a lot of doubt in my own ability and like when when you're quite a introverted quiet person one thing that I find people like that often are able to do is to phrase things in their head and come out with it like after having thought about it quietly for a while and it just it just changes everything so I think probably my biggest piece of advice would be don't ever think that your small change is irrelevant and not big enough like it's not about the big the big things it's about every little detail that comes together to build up one big 
thing. So like if you're a new songwriter, if you've written two lines and you love those two lines, but you hate the rest of the song, don't scratch the entire song. Like take those two lines and take them to somebody else and be like, I've come up with these two lines. I love them. Yeah. Can you come up with the rest of the song? Can we work together? And I think with Southfield songs, that's what made all the difference. Like loads of people came up with tiny little bits, but when you bring them all together to make one stunning thing, basically. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that, like, just kind of keeping hold of little nuggets every now and then, especially as you're kind of growing in that art form. Um, I, I was watching, uh, I've kind of been going back onto a bit of a Blink-182 binge the past nice. kind of couple of months. Um, and I was watching the Blink-182 documentary, which I used to kind of watch every week when I was about 18. Um, and there's this one section, which I didn't realise, and he's, he's kind of running through guitar ideas. And it's actually the, uh, the riff um, that they end up using on a song like... 10 years later or something like that. I can't, I've probably got the years wrong, but um, just that one little riff that wasn't ready then for an album or a song ended up becoming something later on. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And how did it kind of have an impact on the worship life of the of the church? Like, like standing up to lead worship and like, these are songs that we wrote, you know, how do they kind of stack up alongside kind of the ones that were written by the church? Yeah, it just, it really hits different when you're singing lyrics that you've written yourself, even if somebody else in the church wrote it, just the knowledge that as a church, we've come up with this. Um, One of the stories that resonated with me the most, uh, our pastor Howard, his daughter, Claudia, she, um, at a very young age, maybe like one or two years old, she got meningitis. And um, what came out of that is that she was in hospital, essentially, I believe they were told that they didn't think that she was going to make through it. And when the church came together to pray about that, through that, Howard started writing a song about it. Well, not like specifically about the situation, but with words of encouragement to get through it. And like, I get so emotional talking about this even now. But um, everybody wrote in little lyrics to kind of to build this song, which is called Every Call. If anyone wants to listen to it for some encouragement, it is a brilliant song. But um, basically what came out of this song is we were declaring this song over the situation um the lyrics for bridge are there's nothing too small there's nothing too much you hear every call and um basically as this was being sung we started to believe that this was going to happen over the situation and basically claudia the um the child she actually took her first steps on easter sunday (laughs) and she made a recovery with absolutely no side effects and um so whenever we sing that song now all of us in the church we think of that like that's going to resound with us probably for the rest of our lives so yeah that's it does hit different when you've got a song that means so much to you as a church. Yeah, well, you've, you've, you've kind of taken a song that it's, it's become more than words. It's become like this thing that you've physically lived out, which is what we want with all the things we sing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first question that we always uh, ask our guests, Abby, is what's the kind of first experience that you remember of congregational worship? So the first one that I can remember really clearly, actually, was um, it was at an Elim event at Minehead, and I was actually only five years old at the time. But um, basically, we were all in this really big blue tent, and I just I kind of became very aware of what was going on for the first time that I can remember in my life. Like I could see all these people singing around me, but I like something inside me knew that they weren't just singing a song like happily. I kind of remember five year old me thinking there's definitely something more going on here. Just not. And obviously, like I've grown up in a Christian family, so I knew that it was a church gathering. But um, yeah, and that was actually the year that I made the decision to become a Christian at five years old. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. 
that Amazing. because of that experience at the time I think oh I wanted I wanted to get to know this I was like I want to be able to experience this so that was where I made like my first decision to become a Christian so yeah that's the first event that I remember cool all right so second question okay what would you say uh, and obviously I'm guessing this would change kind of as years go on but what would you say right now what is your favorite thing about worship um, so I think my favorite thing about worship is that I find it's the main way that I connect to God um, like I can pray, I can fast, um, I can have discussions with people. But the one thing that I find without fail that always helps me connect with God is um, is worship music. Like the minute like the first synth comes in, I'm just like, yes, like I'm feeling it. Um, and also just I think for me, it's the ability to properly be involved in it as well. Um, obviously, when you're praying, it's generally like a one to one conversation with God. Whereas with worship music, for me, it's also sharing my passion of Jesus. And it, I find it's actually the easiest link to share with my non-Christian friends. Like, it's such an easy thing to slip in there. Like, what do you do for a hobby? And I'm like, oh, I play keys in a worship band. At and then boom, yeah, it's just that's there. Awesome. <laughs> I find that for some reason, the lyrics and worship songs, just like, I, I connect with them so much more than anything that's spoken to me. Um, One of my absolute favourite songs of all time is Another in the Fire. And just all of the lyrics of that they just honestly they just speak to me and um the very last line is I find the joy in every battle because I know that's where you'll be and Mm. like this entire year and last year has just been such a huge battle for me and I'd always find myself going to bed at night singing that lyric in my head and thinking like I can find the joy in this because there it is there and I just find that I, I can't find those kind of words in something that's written down or spoken to me like occasionally it does happen but i always i always find their inner worship song somewhere yeah well no like music is really powerful and um like even just kind of scientifically like i remember watching this documentary it's only a short one and it was about um people with alzheimer's um and and going to this old person's home and this it was the most beautiful video and this this guy and he, he couldn't really remember anything he couldn't really talk anymore um he would kind of just slump in his chair and that would be what he did all day um and these people came and they um they played some hymns in in sort of through some headphones from when he was younger um and he like started moving and his arms start jigging and he's like he's like mouthing the lyrics to these songs like not like not fully uh, making the, making the full words, but like you can see his eyes just lit up, and I'm like, if it can do that, if it can kind of like rejuvenate memories that have kind of from every other aspect of life look like they're completely gone. Like what I've can seen that do? in action. Yeah, it's my, a, um, have you? My granddad, he unfortunately passed away last week, but um, he had quite advanced dementia and. Every time we play, like, even just a classical piece of music, like you said, like, his whole face would just light up. He'd be... Wow. He'd be, like, waving his arms around. He'd be conducting in the air. And just, if he was ever really distressed or upset, like, we would just put music on. And every time, it would just calm him right down. He'd be back to, like, almost like his old self would come back and just be there for the time being. Like, yeah, it's amazing. It's incredible what music does to the brain. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really sorry that you've lost your granddad, by the way. Thank you. Um, was your granddad kind of a, a part of your faith walk? A hundred percent. He used to be yeah. a preacher. So he, wow, okay. he's been such an incredible man of God his entire life. He's never doubted his faith. He's he stood by everyone through the hardest of times. Like 
he always used to do this thing um, when he was preaching to make sure that everybody was listening, where um, he'd ask people to go, yes, Jeff, if they agreed with what he was saying. So it was actually really sweet. So he'd say like a line and then he'd pause and wait for it. And like the whole congregation like, yes, would just Jeff. go, yes, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he was incredible. He really was. Yeah, he just, he made everyone's lives so much better. So I guess let's let's bring it round to the final question. So this is the hard hitter. This one is yeah, this is the hardcore <laughs> question. Um, but you know the reason we did this podcast. Um, so in terms of like we've we talked so much about all the positive things that you love about congregational worship, but if you could change one thing about it, what would it be? Um, I would change how inclusive it is which is controversial to say that, I know that. But um, basically, from what my experience has been of worship music, it has to be a certain way, otherwise you can't connect as such. Like, for me, worship music, I know there are different types of worship music out there, but the ones that are predominantly used in churches, you have your synth, like, you have your certain sounds, you have, like, certain melodies and stuff, and they all sound... Like, when you listen to Christian songs, yes, they're all different, but they all have very similar vibes. And I kind of, mm. I find it difficult personally that it's it's quite a slim genre. And um, I mean, I would love for us to be able to do like, it sounds so stupid, but like a reggae song or something like in no, a different I way. Get you. Yeah, <laughs> like I wish we could include more varieties of worship music, to, like even just for different cultures, because... Um, I know that there's so many different cultures over the globe who have different music, such as African music or like tribal music. And we don't really get to experience any of that. And I think it's amazing. And it's such a, I personally would love to travel the world and get to experience that because my only real experience of worship music is, is your standard white people on stage playing the electric guitars and the keys and the classic pop song kind of still like, so for me, Mm. the one thing that I would change would be like, to include more cultural songs, I guess. Like, there can be, like, I think almost an expectation that worship music just is just one size fix, fit, uh, one size fits all, like, bolt on thing. Um, whereas I think there should be, I think you're absolutely right, there should be space for um, churches to, like, it could just be you know, stylistically, you know, they could like, they have, you know, could have all this music that comes from like, yeah, Bethel and Hillsong and all that jazz, but they could do it in their own style. Um, like, you know, you could have people, yeah, we talked about it like, uh, with, with Davey last week, didn't we, Carl? Like, just like, he goes to a church that's like, um, hardcore musicians mainly and people who love hardcore music and it's all riffy and screamy and that's what they love. Um, because again, what we kind of discovered last week is that if you allow the musical culture of, you know, an indigenous musical culture to make its way into worship music, the culture of that music scene starts to make its way in as well. In the case of hardcore music, that's like a very uh, passionate, uh, very inclusive ethos. Um, Like, they welcome everyone. They welcome everyone at their church. Are we denying ourselves of the opportunity to... You know, by making worship this one-size-fits-all thing, or at least stylistically, are we denying ourselves the opportunity to express who we are as a congregation by kind of striking this 
delicious but vanilla flavour. <laughs> delicious but vanilla. Like what I also find, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love it. And I personally find it helps a lot. But um, it, the, you, you get this particularly at youth events where the expectation is the more you build a song, the more you're going to feel Jesus. So the bigger and bigger the song gets, like the more and more yeah. you're kind of going, yes, the Holy Spirit is falling yeah, now. It's like, the holy build. It's the holy build with the holy synth. <laughs> literally. And don't get me wrong, I love it. But sometimes it just sits a little bit wrong with me. And I'm like, why is why is it that we're expect like when it, when, we, when it's building, we're expecting the Holy Spirit to fall. And actually from personal experience, I, can find, I used to, um, 12 years old, actually, I was quite hurt by an experience where basically the song was building massively. And everybody around me was absolutely like screaming out, crying, hands in the air, people falling on their knees. And I was just stood there and I was like, I am feeling absolutely nothing. And then I felt awful then because I was like, well, the song's building. I must have to feel something. I was like, you know, we've got the kick drum coming in proper. We've got like screaming (laughs) synth. I was like, I should be feeling something. This is the part of the song where I should be feeling something. And I feel like that is quite an expectation with worship music. And don't get me wrong, it works a lot of the time and I do love it, but... It, it sometimes it does sit a little bit wrong with me. Yeah, but it's like you said, it's when it's when all the songs are that way. Like like I'm kind of where you are. Like there's so many songs that are in this kind of spacey rock genre that I absolutely love, but because it is very vanilla and it doesn't change very much, it does become an expectation, doesn't it? And you can see it in the congregation. Like they almost they almost wait for these build sections before they let themselves go. And they kind of like fully engage in the worship. And, um, and and that's not their fault. I think it's it's this culture we've built, isn't it? Like we kind of go, oh, here comes the build. This is when this is when you just fully cry out to God. It's like you can you can do that when if there's like an out of tune harmonica and just one like, do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I completely get what you're saying there. Which leads into kind of the my other sort of third point to this which was if you're in a smaller church and you can't get that sound there sometimes is an expectation that you can't therefore have the same worship experience like yeah i i found myself guilty of that like because i at, at one point southwell was a great band as well as being a great worship team like musically we were with it and it was good so i would then go to a smaller church where perhaps it was like a crappy keyboard and an out of tune guitar and for me that yeah. was all I could think yeah. about then I wasn't thinking about how beautiful their hearts were standing up there and worshipping like for me that was all I could think about and then I was like well there's no way you could have a worship experience when the band is that terrible like and that is just it's just so wrong to think like that but I feel like we just fool ourselves like we end up falling into that yeah you didn't have like people who uh, had musical degrees in the early church do you know I mean, you may have had a few, but <laughs> do you know I mean, they, they weren't kind of like people have been studying the ins and outs of like the minutiae of music to then be able to lead, lead a people in worship. It's so, it's so much more simpler than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's not something we should be afraid of talking about in, ter- like, in terms of, you know, it's okay. It's okay that as human beings, certain musical or arrangement ideas get us hyped up and it's not something we should be afraid of discussing i think that sometimes it's just hype sometimes we are just getting emotionally hyped up because you know like um you know i just just think about you know the second trolls film i don't know if you guys have seen the trolls films but like there's like a section at the start in where there's there's this huge rave and there's 
there's this big disco, and there's this build, and it's going and going and going, and everyone in the in the audience are like, do the drop, do the drop, and they finally yeah. do. You know what I mean? And it's just like that's that's that, and it's that's kind of you know emotional hyping, which yeah. is a, which is a swear word in a lot of worship bands. But actually, we are emotional beings, and I don't know if we should be afraid of the fact that we get emotionally hyped up by certain things. You know, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean God's not in that. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's whether you you leave it there or you take it forward into other places in your life. If I think, and this speaking from experience, I've definitely been in that place in my life where I have just kind of not really been on a great kind of walk with God in my kind of time at home and then I would be at church on a Sunday and I would let these songs kind of and this is a great thing and it's a tool that God uses I mean like God created this in us like you said I don't think we should talk negatively all the time about this but it for me like I would kind of get hyped up and hyped up and it's like yeah 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 and then like the song's finished and I'm right back where I was I mean I'm kind of right back where I was in my relationship with God I'm right back where I was in my kind of theology or, or whatever the thing is. I think if we allow that hype to push us forward, then it's an amazing tool and a really, really great thing. And actually a really holy thing. Do you know what I mean? Because like God created that in us, those reactions in us. But it has to be has to be that kind of momentum forward after that hype, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Like sometimes, you know, like me and uh, my wife Katie talk about, uh, you know, just talk about sometimes you just need a good cry. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I remember like, you know, when just before we got married, we needed to test her waterproof mascara because, you know, she was expecting to cry at our wedding. And so we watched The Notebook uh, and I'd never seen it. Oh, no. No, don't uh, watch that. That is so uh, bad. No, it's the... It's the it was the it was the perfect test because she put on this waterproof <laughs> mascara beforehand, um, and did it, it hold? Was, did it hold? One of them did. One, one of them did. Of them the, did. Other one, <laughs> the other one didn't. So it did its job. But goodness me, the even though that was kind of like almost an engineered, you know, uh, engineered like evening of weeping. Man, was it cathartic, you know. Mm. Like it wasn't. It was just so good to kind of have that emotional release. Like sometimes you just need to cry. I think sometimes you need to just throw yourself in emotionally into a, heart, a time of worship and get yourself to that place. I guess. Well, I find um, I'm one of those people that bottles it will up to be released in one go, and it that's an example of like hype being good because sometimes I need those moments where I can just like release cry do whatever like do whatever I need to do and it's okay because it's that moment of the song where it's okay to do that like it's okay to have that release so that's a good good thing about it obviously there are good things and there are bad things but yeah especially if you're like me and you feel like you bottle it all up to everybody else and you just need that one moment to just get out of your system yeah almost kind of gives you permission yeah totally yeah yeah it's so cool because I think as well it's just like those moments, I think, yeah, you, you get a, like a lot of talk about emotionalism, um, you know, don't you, in terms of worship music, and like, um, and by the way, for the record, I am Team Sloppy Wet Kiss. Uh, unforeseen Kiss is the wrong lyrics. Um, I um, the lyrics. It's not the lyrics. John Mark McMillan wrote, and it was never supposed to be a worship <laughs> song. 
Nobody likes a <laughs> sloppy wet kiss. <laughs> what is the lyric? Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. I think it's, it's horrible. In, in, I in, like um, it. <laughs> I knew you would. Um, exactly. There's negative talk about emotionalism. Um, and it almost kind of ignores the fact that we're emotional beings. Mm. Because, you know, and I think maybe it comes down to... I don't know. I don't know if it's related. I don't know what you guys think. Maybe it's related to how we kind of deify and hold up the intellect of theological study. You know what I mean? Because, you know, the intellect yeah. of theological study can be can be quite emotionally disconnected. It can. It, it really, really can. I, I found this um, kind of like when I've gone into more kind of theological studies and stuff like that, like I don't I don't kind of tend to do that stuff very often. My, I can initially become quite disconnected because I'm like, I need to learn. And I love learning anyway. So it's quite a natural place kind of for me to go. So I like my mind and intellect will take over. And then like the emotional kind of response and kind of connection and relationship is almost left at the door. Um, and, and I'm like, out of the two, if you were going to say which one would you say God wants more? He wants that heart and connection, doesn't he? Like your intellect is amazing and great. And it's pushed us forward as a society so much but without the relational side along with that it just becomes cold but kyle you you have to have to have to listen to john martin millen's original version of how he loves us you have to. okay i will i think you i think you, i'll I think put that on my it. homework <laughs> um but yeah basically the thing was that so he was a singer songwriter who wrote this song after like his best friend died and then it kind of got appropriated as a congregational worship song, and then people were very unhappy about the lyric "Sloppy Wet Kiss." And then, ch- and it's the David Crowder band first of all who changed it to "Unforeseen Kiss," and it's like, oh, but that's like a really normal word for it, you know what I mean? And I think what I loved about it is just like <laughs> I remember the I remember the first time I I remember the first time I heard that song. Uh, it was on the Jesus Culture album "We Cry Out," and I was watching the DVD that comes with it. And I was like, oh, this is a nice song. And then that lyric happened and I was like, oh my gosh, that is so fresh. And that is so, such an expression of, you know, reckless and over the top and, you know, messy passion. Um, um, That's so funny how my, differently we think about that. Because when I, like, when I first heard it, I had such a different reaction to you. I just, like, my entire mm. body just, like, cringed. I really hope John isn't listening to this right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> It just kind of, I don't know, it just, it just made me cringe because when I, like, when I think of a sloppy wet kiss, I don't think of that as a good thing. I just think, <laughs> I think that's the thing is it's not supposed to be kind first. of, <laughs> exactly. I think it's not supposed to be like a good, like romantic thing. It's just supposed to be this kind of, oh my gosh, you know, I haven't seen you in ages. Yeah. I want to kiss. You know what I mean? It's just supposed <laughs> to be this like, you know, me- like, you know, messy and undignified Thing, which yeah. is ultimately what what Jesus did, you know, heaven and heaven met yeah. earth, like a sloppy wet kiss. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of I kind of really like it in in the sense of like I think especially in kind of the church, physical contact has been really overly sexualized. Um, so kind of like any 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 talk of kind of like kissing or anything like like my my buddy of mine, obviously not now because of COVID. Um, buddy of mine he's he's amazing he's so kind of affectionate and he'll kind of when we see each other he'll kind of kiss me on the cheek and he's like like one of my dude friends and he's 
the most lovely, warm person. And I love it. It's it's just him. Do you know what I mean? I kind of look forward for those times when I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he kind of, we hug each other and give each other a kiss. And it's so not sexual whatsoever. But like, that would be so frowned upon in some kind of churches and places. Um, so I kind of, I like that. Yeah, don't even get me started about sexualization in churches because I could, I could do a whole new podcast just on that, to be honest. Like, I mean, we could go there right now. I'd be happy to. <laughs> like, as a female, especially, this is something that has bothered me for a very long time. Like, even something simple, like not being, and this isn't necessarily my church in particular, but this is common in quite a lot of churches. As a woman, you're told you can't wear certain things on stage. Yeah. For example, I have been told in the past you can't wear ripped jeans on stage because your knees will be showing. Seriously? What, are we in Victorian times? What? So like, it oh. can take away from the worship experience. Like, I have had Sundays at certain churches where I've been stood and I've, like, instead of being thinking about God and what I'm playing, I'm stood there thinking this top is probably a little bit too tight. I'm concerned about what people are thinking about this. And then, like, I second no. think that and I'm like, no, people shouldn't be thinking anything of Ridiculous. this. Like, the he- like the female body especially is built as the female body you don't look at it yeah. and it's not a sexual item like if i am wearing a exactly. tight top it shouldn't be a problem like i shouldn't be worried about what certain people in the no. congregation are thinking about that like that's something that's bothered exactly. me for a very long time so even to the point of like for me i grew up um and my two best friends were go- both girls so i i kind of naturally am more comfortable talking to like a stranger who is a woman than a stranger who is a man i kind of just naturally can flow in conversation a bit more and it's probably because i have had two best friends who were both girls growing up um and then i kind of came to the church and i would make friends with like girls before men because i just felt more comfortable um and and it would be like you you can't you, you can't be friends with them by yourself you, you like you need to take someone with you and it was like oh, what know, yeah. what are you talking oh about gosh, yeah. i'm not going to be friends with them so i can sleep with them i want to be friends with this human being who happens yeah. to be a woman you know and i think i think um i guess kind of bringing it around to worship music again is like you know um if, if people like even kind of sing a song together and kind of harmonize together and their voices have great synergy People just kind of start to think like, oh, oh, I wonder if there's something going on there. It's like, no, two yeah. good singers are happen to be singing at the same time and are singing really well together. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it's just but like... But they must be in a relationship. Oh, exactly. So I guess that's another thing that we would change about worship culture, right? Oh, yeah, you know 100%. I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, we just need to normalise friendships, right? Because if we don't male and females being friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if we don't normalize those, then culturally, any time um, um, a man and a woman are together in a Christian context, it becomes this charged thing, even if whether whether they feel like it should be or not. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love that's a really yeah. good point. It's like you almost like that that way of thinking is almost kind of being counterproductive because that way of thinking is kind of making these situations more like sexual when they shouldn't be. Cause it's like, exactly. Oh, I'm with a girl. I'm with a girl. Is she looking at me? It's like, 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, you know, because, you know, we, we, we know kind of like, you know, regardless of, you know, whether you believe that Genesis, the beginning of Genesis literally happened, we know how well humans do with forbidden fruit, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember my wife uh, went to a conference once, and I, I won't name check the person because I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Um, <clears throat> but she, uh, like this this woman was giving, giving a preach, and it was like kind of like a couple day conference. And she said at the end of the first day, she's like, well, you ladies, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly what she said, but it's like something like, you ladies, like you go home, you give your husbands a good time tonight so he lets you come to tomorrow. And it was like, you, okay, that's all kinds of wrong right there. Oh, gosh. And especially, like, for, pe- for people like me and Carl as well, like, the universe is true. Like, me and Carl aren't really bloke, blokey, bloke, blokes, are we? Yeah. Super like, bloke, blokey, blokes. Not, like, <laughs> well, I won't tell anyone if you don't. Um, so, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, we're both, you know, we're both, like, really emotional. And we're both, like, you know... Oh, I cry at everything. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, like, you know, and and it's just, you know, it's that whole idea of, like, you know, men's conferences is when they have barbecues and drink beer. And it's just, like, actually quite, quite like to just watch up. <laughs> can't watch up and have a good cry. It's been so nice because I haven't had like theological conversations with anyone for a while because everyone's been a bit miserable. So it's actually been so refreshing for me as well. So thank you. No problem at all. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, And what a lovely place to end episode three. It's been such a great chat. It's been so good. And, you know, um, and, you know, um, like Abby has, you know, been like a, a friend to me and Katie for ages and, and it's just been such a pleasure to have you on the, you know, on the podcast in its early fledgling days. It's been brilliant. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, like, for, for anyone who kind of wants to get involved um, with, with commenting, um, like I know we've kind of based this podcast around three questions. But if anyone has kind of got anything that they think would be a great addition to those questions, whether we go to four or five, send them in. Because I think, like, obviously, between, between the two of us, we've got these three, but there's definitely other amazing questions that could be being asked as well so send them in absolutely and on that note we will um see you all next week thanks for joining us thank you for listening to this week's episode of deconstructing worship we hope that you got as much from it as we did Uh, we would absolutely love to have you all involved in these conversations so please find us at instagram and youtube both under the handle at deconstructing worship and please send in any emails with any questions or anything that you would love involved uh, within any kind of future episodes and our email is deconstructingworship at gmail.com and we will talk to you next week bye-bye hi everyone steve here just a quick postscript to today's episode um, we discussed with Abby the issue of the sexualization of women in worship teams and in churches. And um, we felt like we didn't give that issue enough time. So later on in this series, we're going to have a women in worship panel where I'll be able to delve into this particular issue and other issues that affect women in worship teams in a bit more detail. So um, I've got that to look forward to. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll see you next week.